So every year for the past 10 years, we've gathered as a community, the listeners to this podcast, the students of the Proven Amazon course, our coaching students, hundreds of us gather every year, and we have a tremendous time just hanging out for two, three days and sharing the latest, greatest content. Well, this year, one of the guests that we invited is who you're about to hear. It's Rachel Wilson, who happens to be the wife of Adam Wilson, a guy who's very involved in our community, and you've maybe seen him around in the Facebook group and such. What a great couple. It was such a pleasure getting to know Rachel. I know Adam fairly well, but she's the head of cybersecurity for a very large financial institution in the United States, Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Well, that's a pretty prestigious position and pretty high ranking when it comes to understanding cybersecurity threats. And what I loved about her presentation was she broke it down into some very practical things that any of us could be doing. I mean, she talked about even writing checks, like handwritten checks. Now, you may not do that a whole lot, but is it still safe to do that? How should you do it? How should you get rid of old electronics? Real practical stuff mixed in with some truly fascinating content on the cybersecurity landscape. And since we play in the world of e-commerce, man, we should be up to speed on this stuff. This is stuff that we should know. So I thought I'd bring you this presentation. Now, a little heads up, we've, for the audio purpose, if you're listening to this as a podcast right now, audio only, we've chopped out the first few minutes and chopped out the last bit where it was Q&A. Very valuable content there. If you want to hear the whole thing start to finish, we've decided to make it free to the public. There's a YouTube link near these show notes. What you're about to hear is 95% of the presentation. We we chopped down the introduction. We chopped out the Q&A. It's just the, the heart of the content is what you're going to hear in just a moment. But if you do want to go see the whole thing, we made it free. If you want to get all the videos, there's nearly 40 videos from our recent event. You can get those at The Proven Conference. Dot com, And if you email our support team, they may have a discount code, a coupon code that you can use, save a few dollars on that as a listener to this show if you're interested. But go to theprovenconference.com and see what you missed if you weren't part of that event. Or maybe if you were part of the event and you haven't heard this episode yet or this session yet, man, this is one you're really going to like. One of the things that we did this year, a little background, is like I said, almost 40 sessions over three days. That meant nobody got to see more than just a small fraction of the available content, which is why we recorded everything and, and made it available to for free to all attendees and for a few dollars to those who weren't able to make it to the event. Tremendous feedback this year, incredible content, and I just love this community. You need to experience it firsthand if you've never been to one of our events. It's more like a family reunion than a business conference, but the content is cutting edge and it's just such a special group. One of the sayings that I've heard emerge out of the way we do things around here is once you find your people, you can begin to find your purpose. And we just love that. It makes a lot of sense. So if you're not plugged into our community, this is another great example of the kind of content that we love to bring. It's not just about how to sell on Amazon. We're really good at that. I would say better at that than anyone in the world but we like to keep you sharp in all the other important areas that matter as well. And this episode is an example of that. So that's a long enough introduction for this episode today. Enjoy this content from Rachel Wilson. I'd like to welcome on stage the head of data security and infrastructure risk for Morgan Stanley Wealth Management and my wife, Rachel Wilson. 
Well, good morning, Proven 2022. Uh, Adam, thank you for that very warm, probably the, the sweetest introduction I have ever received in my professional career. 21 years we'll be celebrating next week. I am not an easy person to be married to, as you'll soon pick up on. Uh, and so I would tell you, Adam, my greatest accomplishment is keeping you these 21 years, my rock, my soft place to fall, my partner in crime in all things. I am incredibly blessed. So with that, why are we talking about cybersecurity this morning at Proven 2022? Because Adam is absolutely right. There are very few things for all of you as entrepreneurs, as business owners, that are truly existential risks to your business. Cybersecurity, I would argue, is not just on that list, but if you don't think it's at the top of your list of things you need to be worried about day in, day out then we've got to have this conversation this morning. So this morning's conversation, I'll be honest, I am going to spark a little bit of fear in all of your minds. This is a little bit of a scared straight conversation, but I also promise to give you a lot of practical advice this morning. Cybersecurity is an existential threat, but it is not insurmountable. There are a lot of things all of us must be doing to better protect ourselves. So this morning, I'm going to walk you through the sources of my sleepless nights as the head of cybersecurity and data protection for a large bank. Then we're going to pivot to what I worry about for all of you. I see what Adam does day in, day out running his business. I see the things that I worry about as I have conversations with many of you in settings like this. And then we're going to talk about some personal cybersecurity best practices. Because, of course, you are not just business owners. You are parents. You are brothers and sisters. You are children. You are pillars in your various communities. And I would argue that in all of those various roles, all of those hats that you wear throughout the course of your life, cybersecurity needs to be at the forefront of your minds. So with that, as Adam mentioned, 20 plus years in the cybersecurity space, this is all I have ever done. For me, this is not a job. This is not a career. This is a calling. This is my life's work. And Adam's absolutely right that I made the decision a few years ago that I needed to be talking about this in much broader ways because the damage I have seen done to good, hardworking Americans trying to do the right thing with their businesses, these cyber actors, the risk has increased exponentially since the start of the pandemic. So we'll cover all of this. I will also tell you, though, that I have no hope or expectation that any of you are going to leave today doing all of the various things that we're going to talk about. My hope is that you will all take one thing from this conversation this morning, one thing that you're going to do better in your cybersecurity practices. I tell people all the time, cybersecurity is not about perfection. It's really about not being the sickest gazelle in the herd. So that is my hope. All of you will pick one thing. You will run a little bit faster in our herd. You will expose yourself to less risk as a result. Sound like a plan? Okay, so what about sources of sleepless nights? My job at Morgan Stanley is to make sure that every system, every network, every application that we field to our 15,000 financial advisors around the country and our 15 million clients around the world, that all of those systems 
are as time-tested, battle-hardened, hacker-proofed as possible before we field them. Now, as Adam mentioned, I spent you know my 15 years at the NSA. My last five years there were in my dream job, running those cyber exploitation operations for the U.S. government. These are your professional American hackers. I would go out to all the best colleges and universities and try to recruit the top computer scientists and computer engineers to come train with me to be professional hackers. Now, as you'd all expect, I, being in government, could not offer them anything like the kind of money that the Googles and Facebooks and Amazons of the world were offering. But I could give them an opportunity, frankly, to do something that would be illegal anywhere else. And for a particular ilk of young person, you know some of these folks, that was a very alluring proposition to not be beholden to the Computer Fraud and Abuses Act, bring in these young patriots, give them 18 months of highly classified training, and then conduct hundreds of operations a day, hacking into the networks of the Russians, the North Koreans, the Iranians, the Chinese, stealing the secrets out of their networks, giving them to our policymakers, our warfighters, all with the goal of keeping the United States and her allies safe. I made this a dream job for a couple of reasons. Now, first, as you could imagine, as a technologist, we got to work pretty much every technology on the planet, including a bunch of technologies you can't even buy in the United States. Things we would have to have diplomatically pouched in, reverse engineer them, find vulnerabilities, and then use those vulnerabilities against our adversaries. But also a dream job, because the men and women, military and civilian personnel that I led in this mission, truly profound work. Bringing back what we used to call eye-watering intelligence. So information that was so remarkable that when you thought about the fact that we were gonna put it on the president's desk the next morning, brought a little tear to your eye. You all can probably tell that I am incredibly proud of the work that the US intelligence community does for us in my tenure, the work they continue to do for us today. Uh, those were easily the best 15 years of my career. But when I came to Morgan Stanley, what did I do? The same thing any of you would do. I simply hired the best people who had ever worked for me before. So my team at Morgan Stanley, so same men and women that we recruited many, many years ago, leveraging that practitioner level hacking experience to defend all of those systems and networks. So what am I worried about? What am I losing sleep over these last five years? Make no mistake, we are at cyber war day in and day out with many of our adversaries around the world. Now, I wouldn't even call it a cold war. This war, pretty darn hot in many cases. Top of my list, existential threats to US financial services, North Korea. Why? North Korea, of course, is up against staunch international sanctions, has no domestic economy to speak of, and is yet trying to fund a wildly expensive missile and nuclear program. How is North Korea doing this? How are they funding their government in 2022? Well, they've essentially made it a plank of their national strategy that they're going to fund their government by hacking into banks and stealing money, right? You think the old adage, why rob banks? It's where the money is. We just never expected to see a country take this on as the source of their gross domestic product. But that's exactly what North Korea has done. And they have resourced this bank hacking strategy at a very high level. 
Now, I tell our kids all the time how grateful they should be that they did not grow up in North Korea. Our 18-year-old daughter would tell you that having me as a mom sometimes feels like living in North Korea, but that is not fair. You back me up on this. But the reason that our kids should be so grateful among the many is that the North Koreans have implemented a policy whereby every 11-year-old child is administered an aptitude test. You score best and brightest on the North Korean aptitude test, and you're immediately on-ramped into the bank hacking program. These kids moved into dormitories, away from their families, raised, trained to be bank hackers from the age of 11. The estimates now have it at 7,000 people in the North Korean bank hacking program, and those ranks just continue to grow. Also unfortunate for all of us playing defense, the North Koreans, pretty darn good at this. So much so, some of you will be familiar with the Bank of Bangladesh heist. You've read the book, you've seen the movie. This is where the North Koreans successfully hacked into the Central Bank of Bangladesh and carted off close to $100 million over a long weekend. These are non-trivial dollar sums that the North Koreans are going after. But what people don't necessarily know about the Bank of Bangladesh heist is that this was not just a near $100 million loss, but that the North Koreans were a typographical error away, a spelling mistake away from this being close to a billion dollars. That would be an eighth of the total national reserves of the nation of Bangladesh gone over the course of a long weekend. And this was not a one-off for the North Koreans. Again, this is their national strategy. Last year, the United Nations published a report supporting the allegations of 27 countries around the world, all of whom are asserting correctly, in my view, that the North Koreans have come after some aspect of their central bank. Existential, and when you think about where this now more than $3 billion in losses to North Korea over the last three years have gone, missiles, nuclear weapons, something we all need to be worried about. Close second for me, Iran. Now, Iran, of course, very different animal. They've got plenty of money, plenty of oil. Why are they hacking American banks? Because the Iranians have long figured out that cyber represents an asymmetric threat. That you're sailing an aircraft carrier into New York Harbor, that would be a decade-long project. Building a nuclear weapon, thank God, has proven to be very difficult for them. So what are they doing instead? What they've done in the past is literally put 40 guys in the basement of a building in Tehran and managed to wreak havoc on Wall Street. 2012 to 2014, when tensions were exceedingly high with Iran, the Iranians literally went bank to bank to bank, 46 banks over two and a half years, wildly destructive and destructive denial of service attacks, all in retaliation for economic sanctions against the Central Bank of Iran, the Iranian oil industry, and against military and cyber action. Lots to be worried about there. But the real risk and the one that impacts everyone in this room is the tremendous growth over the last three years in what we call cyber criminal syndicates. So these are traditional organized crime rings that are now using cyber means to operate at a scope, scale, velocity 
that frankly boggles the mind from where we were three to five years ago. Who are these cyber criminals? Well, that's the kicker for those of us playing defense. Really difficult to tell who is a nation state cyber actor and who is just a cyber criminal. Why? Because it's the same guys. You think about those North Korean government hackers we talked about. How much money are they making? No money. There's no money in North Korean government hacking. Now, they certainly are a well-motivated workforce because we all know the consequences of poor job performance in North Korea, but they're not well compensated. So what's the perk? What is the Benny to being a North Korean government hacker? It's that you get to take that cyber toolkit home with you nights and weekends and use it for your own personal betterment. And that's what we see not just in North Korea, but Russia, China, all across Eastern Europe. Hackers that work for their government by day and work as hackers for higher nights and weekends. This is, of course, where any of us with two nickels to rub together potentially become targets. Now, I want to give you an example of in my day job, what sorts of cyber attacks I see from these cyber criminal syndicate groups. Now, this would be applicable to anyone who is running an internet-facing gateway, a customer-facing authenticated portal. This is the risk of what we call a credential validation attack. This is where a hacker goes out to the dark web and buys a list of 10 million credentials, logins and passwords. These logins and passwords have nothing to do with your bank. These are the old logins and passwords from the Target breach, the Home Depot breach, Equifax, LinkedIn, Yahoo, all of these hacks over the years where the hacker gets in and goes after the database that houses all of the customer logins and passwords from Target, dumps them all for sale on the dark web. Why does the hacker want all of these old logins and passwords from Target? It's because he knows that many of us are victims of that particular form of human frailty that causes us to reuse the same password again and again and again. Now, Adam, I know smart entrepreneurs in the room today, none of us are reusing the same password again and again, right? Uh-oh. I'm seeing some people looking at their shoes. This is bad, right? Because when we use the same password everywhere and it gets compromised anywhere, we're now at risk everywhere we've used it. And that's what the hacker is hoping for, is that maybe the login and password you were using at Target a few years ago is the same one you're using for other logins, maybe for your bank account. So the hacker is going to take those 10 million logins and passwords, throw them against your bank's front door, simply to see what sticks. Now, you think about how long that would take the hacker, having to fat finger in all of those logins and passwords. He'd be doing that for the rest of his life. So what does he do to speed up the process? He goes back to the dark web and rents a botnet. Now, a botnet, simply thousands of highly hackable endpoint devices all over the world. These are your Internet of Things type devices, smart TVs. I can tell you the last of these botnet-driven attacks we experienced at Morgan Stanley, it was a huge horde of smart refrigerators. Imagine me having to go to our board of directors and explain that we were being attacked by refrigerators. We were. 
still an odd conversation to have with the board, but that's what was happening. The hacker scripts up an attack and has these thousands of manufactured default credential smart refrigerators throw millions of credential pairs against our client authenticated gateway. Vast majority of them, right? The botnet's not smart. Simply returns a thumbs up, thumbs down. Most of them thumbs down. This login and password do not work for any customer of this bank. But for that small but non-zero percentage that return a thumbs up, what happens next? Hackers logging into those accounts, setting up bill payments, money movements, Zelle transactions, all the kinds of things you would expect to see a traditional fraudster do if they got access to your account, but now at scope, at scale, at velocity. The last risk that I want to explain this morning, truly the bane of my existence for the last five years, Adam has heard way too many complaints about this, and it's the risk around mobile malware. So this is malicious software that gets itself onto your phone and then tries to steal money from your bank accounts. The one that has bothered me most these last five years is a particular strain of malware out there called Marcher. Marcher has been targeting the 40 largest American banks for years. We are in a cat and mouse game with these hackers. Here's how Marcher works. Marcher starts by socially engineering you into downloading this app onto your phone. Now you think about it, none of us would knowingly download malware, right? But sadly, it does not come with a skull and crossbones on it. It is not clearly malicious. Instead, it's always going to pretend to be something benign, something innocuous, maybe a game, maybe a software update. Marcher loves to pretend to be solitaire. You think you're downloading Solitaire onto your phone. Now you've downloaded this malicious app, malicious software onto your phone. The next thing Marcher is going to do is again socially engineer you into giving it admin level privileges, a deep level of access on your device. How is it going to get these privileges? It is simply going to ask you for them. You think about it, we all download apps, right? And they want a lot from you. They want access to your contacts, your photos, your location. You just click yes, 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 because you want to get on with using the app. If you did that in this case, you would grant Marcher admin privileges, which is what's going to come back to bite us. Now my client, my customer, doesn't know she's got malware on her phone. She launches her mobile banking application. Marcher detects that she has launched her mobile banking app and throws up an overlay right on top of her mobile banking app that looks exactly like what she's expecting to see. Same colors, same branding, same pictures, exactly identical to her mobile banking app but commanded and controlled by the fraudster on the back end. What does she do? She doesn't know she's looking at malware. She enters her username and password. Now her username and password are compromised, known to the fraudster. But it's what happens next that is particularly insidious. Because what is the fraudster going to do with that username and password? He's obviously going to try to log into her account on his device. But I can tell you, most banks, we're going to detect this as a suspicious login all the time. We're going to say, this is not Rachel's IP address. This is not the device we've seen her log in from. Rachel's not usually in Nigeria. All of this is going to look strange to us. What do we do in banking when we detect a suspicious login to your account. 
Well, you've all seen this. We send you that text message, one-time passcode, six-digit thing that you've got to enter in to prove that you are who you say you are, that second factor of authentication. But what's the problem with that six-digit text message in this case? The fraudster is on your phone, and because you gave the malware admin-level privileges on your device, it has access to your text message queue. Fraudster can go into your text message queue, pull the six-digit passcode your bank just sent, meet your bank's step-up authentication challenge. He's off to the races committing fraud in your account. He can go back to your phone, delete the text message. You never even know you were prompted. We've seen millions of dollars in losses across the U.S. financial services all due to this Marcher application in the last few years. So with all of that said, what do I worry about for all of you as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as well as in all of your other capacities? 2022, for me, is the year of the three R's. Russia, top of the list, ransomware, biggest risk for all of you, uh, without a doubt, and resilience. How do we make your business resilient to cyber attacks? Now, we think about Russia, right? Not the top of my sleepless nights list. Why? Because the Russians are playing a long game, right? This is strategic for them. They are positioning themselves, giving themselves points of presence all across the United States these last six months. We have seen a seven-fold increase in attempted phishing attacks from Russian IP space since the start of aggression in uh, Eastern Europe. With all of that in mind, if all of you are tenacious and vigilant diligent about your mail cues on a normal basis. That means not clicking on links from unsolicited sources, not downloading attachments from places you don't recognize. Same thing with your phones, not clicking on links, not downloading attachments. Your Zoom meetings, no links, no attachments in Zoom meetings either. Any unsolicited data coming into your life onto your devices, do not click. That was true all through the pandemic. It is seismically more true today. Your devices absolutely represent points of presence that the Russians would love to be on. And if there is anyone in this room who in 2022 is still running Kaspersky as your antivirus, you need to throw that device away. There is no way to uninstall it. Uh, and if how you choose to decommission that device, I will leave to you. I have found, I frequently get the question of what do I do with that old laptop? Now, Adam can tell you, we've never actually gotten rid of any device uh, in, in our family. They're all stored in a large safe because I am worried about future-proofing the encryption or the destruction of data on all of these legacy devices. But last week I was in Texas and I learned there that device decommissioning there involves a shotgun and a lake. So that might be your method of choice for destroying your devices. However you choose to, though, recognize that destroying your legacy devices and the data that they contain, critically important. The second R we talked about is ransomware. Ransomware attacks are up 700% since the start of the pandemic. Glosses just in the United States last year topped $20 billion. And of course, what happens? The more we pay these ransoms, the more we incentivize these kinds of cyber attacks, easily the most lucrative form of cyber attack this year. 
Now, these ransomware attacks have become far more sophisticated than what you or people you know might have experienced a few years ago. It used to be you got ransomware on your computer, you'd get a pop-up that said, send $2,000 to this place, this cryptocurrency wallet, and we will release the encryption on your desktop. Now, these ransomware schemes are all triple extortion scams. The first thing the hacker is going to do when they get into your environment is determine what you value most. That might be the database that you're running your business off of. That might be the computer, the operating system itself. That might be software that you're running on that computer. That might be something of a more personal nature. In this job, I get to work with a lot of Morgan Stanley celebrity clients, people who really care about privacy. And ransomware actors have found that these these individuals make excellent ransom targets, that if they can steal photos, if they can steal personal chats and exchanges, people are willing to pay lots of money to prevent that information from being sold to the tabloids. I worked with a client just last week in Peoria, of all places, who had experienced a ransomware attack. The hacker had gotten onto her computer and found that what she valued most was a couple of digitized photos, as she put it, from the old country. This is a woman who had emigrated to the United States almost 70 years ago from Italy, and her only remaining possessions from Italy were these digitized photos of her grandparents. The hacker got into her computer, discovered that she valued these. And bear in mind, right, ransomware is not about what anyone else wants. It's about what you value, what you are willing to pay to keep and to avoid having exposed to others. She calls her Morgan Stanley financial advisor and says, I need you to send $50,000 in this cryptocurrency equivalent to this account in South Africa. He says, well, Barbara, that's kind of weird and unlike anything you've ever asked for before. This is how I end up involved. She explains what's happened, that she must have these photos returned. Now, the good news is in Barbara's case, we actually were able to find the photos had been backed up. She was resilient whether she knew it or not. But my point in sharing this with all of you is, again, any of you have anything that you want to keep or that you don't want others to see, ransomware and these kinds of attacks are a real reality for you even outside of your business. But what about if it is your business, right? This is the database. This is your customers. This is your suppliers, your sourcing. Whatever it is you value, the hacker is going to get in and steal whatever it is that you value most. The second thing the hacker is going to do is then encrypt your environment, make it impossible for you to run your business. Then you receive the first of three very scary phone calls. The first phone call, you're sitting at your desk, your computer doesn't work. Hacker calls you and says, I've encrypted your systems. If you would like to be able to do your work, to run your business again, if you want your system to be unencrypted, send 50,000 to this account in Malaysia. Maybe you pay, maybe you don't. Of course, I would always argue you don't wanna pay because what happens when you pay? You show your willingness to pay again. And you will quickly find yourself on a list on the dark web called suckers, right? People who are willing to pay to have their data restored. And that's when you end up with a recidivism problem. You will have hackers coming at you left and right once you have shown your willingness to pay. But say that you pay. You got to get your systems back. So you pay. You're not done. Second phone call. Hacker says, well, before I left, 
I stole all the data you care about, your proprietary models, your customer database, your personal information, your tax returns, everything you had stored on that computer. I, the hacker, have taken. If you don't want that data sold on the dark web, you will pay me another $50,000 and honor amongst thieves. I will promise you not to sell it on the dark web. See how much that's worth to you. Maybe you pay, maybe you don't. But the hacker is still not done because the hacker has not left your environment. Hacker's still there. So the third phone call goes a little like this. I'm still in your environment. And in exchange for keeping it unencrypted so you can run your business and not selling your data on the dark web, I want you to pay me a monthly fee. This is a subscription model. Hackers now are using a Netflix billing model to keep their revenue streams. They learn it from all of us, right? Hackers want monthly protection money, you to pay it. And in exchange, they will keep your systems up and running, your new IT support. They will not sell your data on the dark web. And they'll actually agree to then defend your computer from other hackers who want to come in and do the exact same thing. I had dozens of clients last year who are now paying Eastern European hacking groups to defend their business from other Eastern European hacking groups. This is the brave new world we are living in in 2022. And I would argue for all of you, you need to view these ransomware attacks as not an if, but a when. And you've got to be prepared. Now, of course, I'm saying don't pay the ransom. Easy enough to say, hard to do in practice when, again, this is existential. So what do we need to do to make the likelihood of a ransomware attack reduced and to make our resilience to the experience of a ransomware attack enhanced? The number one thing we all need to do to reduce our risk of any form of cyber attack, ransomware included, is to keep all of our systems fully patched and up to date. So this is the operating system on your phone, your laptop, your desktop. It's your browsers. It's the applications that you're running on your phone. Every time, my iPhone friends out there, Apple sends you that update. Stop everything and update your phone. Now, our daughter, she and I argue about this all the time, uh, as well as many other things. But she would tell you, Mom, I see that Apple sent me an update, but I looked it up. No new fonts, no new emojis, and I can't go without my phone for the 20 minutes that it's going to take. I'll get to it. Can't do this, right? Because when that software update is released, that patch comes out from Apple, Microsoft, Google, that is the moment of greatest risk. That patch is the solution to new vulnerabilities we didn't even know existed. All software manufacturers are constantly discovering new flaws, new bugs, new vulnerabilities in their code. They are fixing those vulnerabilities and they are issuing to us as customers that fix in the form of that patch. When the patch comes out though, well, hackers get excited. Again, for us, that patch is the fix to the problem we didn't know we had, but for the hackers, that patch is an opportunity, right? The hacker is going to reverse engineer the patch, discover the underlying vulnerabilities that it mitigates, and then work to weaponize those vulnerabilities against all of us who have not yet patched. 
What the hacker is going to do is take a purely opportunistic approach. We patch, we are essentially immunized against those vulnerabilities. We don't patch, we're going to become that opportunistic target. Once the hacker has has weaponized that vulnerability, they are simply going to do scans of broad swaths of the internet looking for anyone who has not yet patched leverage that vulnerability to get in and figure out how to monetize it. That monetization, many, many cases, comes in the form of a ransomware attack. These hackers don't care who you are. They are not targeting you because you are you. They are targeting you because you are vulnerable. Patching, top of the list, most important thing to do. But what if that goes wrong, right? What if something goes unpatched and the hacker's in? How do we reduce our risk of having to pay that ransom and increase our third R for 2022, our resilience? Number one thing there, all of us need to have our critical data backed up. Anything that you value, anything that is important to you, you want to take a three, two, one approach, three copies of your data, in two geographically dispersed locations, one of which needs to be disconnected from the rest of your network, right? In a separate standalone place. I am a big fan of cloud storage. Some people find that counterintuitive, but the cloud was built in the modern era. All the things that we in cybersecurity care about, encryption, authentication, delegated access, authorization, configuration drift management, the cloud, and I don't care which one you use, comes with all of that natively out of the box. Having your data backed up in the cloud gives you that geographically dispersed, highly resilient option for protecting that data in the event of a ransomware attack against your device, your home network. The other thing I would say, and Adam doesn't like these exercises when we run them at home, but all of us need to practice, actively rehearse for that cyber attack. All the clients I work with, they love to tell me, Rachel, hand over heart, my data is backed up. They call me a week later, we had a ransomware attack. I'm like, well, but you're fine, right? Your data was backed up. Well, turns out the IT guy who did my backups resigned two years ago, and nobody really knows how to restore from those backups anymore. Or, well, the backups were corrupted six months ago. They were overwritten. Again, we never really practiced restoring from backups. And so now, despite the backup's existence, we're going to have days, weeks, months of lost productivity while we figure out exactly where that data is. I'm Morgan Stanley. I can tell you every six months, IT loves me, right? I pull the plug on something without telling anyone just to see what happens. Our regulators expect us to do this. One of my first meetings at Morgan Stanley with our regulators, and I'll leave the regulator unnamed, but you'll all be amused by this, sitting down with the guy face-to-face and telling him what I firmly believed in my heart, which is that we were very resilient and that with our redundant data centers, you could pull the plug on one of them and we would be back in business within four hours. Great service level agreements. Wonderful. He says, okay, do it. Pull the plug on one of your data centers. Let's see you build back from bare metal in the four hours you promised. Now, bear in mind, this is the middle of the trading day. This is like a Tuesday morning. Guy's telling me to do this, and I'm sputtering, saying, well, you can't possibly mean you actually want me to pull the plug on our data center on a Tuesday morning. He says, Rachel, you got three hours and 59 minutes, so better get to work. Uh, You could imagine that didn't go nearly as well as everyone had promised me that it would have, but we learned a heck of a lot. 
And all of us as business owners, as entrepreneurs, we don't want to be surprised the first time some hacker pulls the plug for us. Practice, exercise, rehearse these cataclysmic scenarios, and they will be much less scary to you when your cyber bad day really comes. The other risk that I worry about for all of you is the risk around business email compromise. So this is where a hacker gets into your email account. The first thing they're going to do is read all of the email you've ever sent or received. So think for a minute about everything that is in the sent queue of your primary email account. The tax returns you've sent, the pictures of your driver's license, your passport, credit card numbers, birth certificates, everything you've ever emailed to anyone. Your sent queue is a massive treasure trove for hackers. But the hacker, even once they have comprehensively stolen your identity by mining the sent queue of your email, then they're going to look to monetize that access to your mail queue by, again, reading your correspondence and then pretending to be you. Business owners, this is important, right? Any of you who send an invoice and expect payment, wouldn't that be fun if I were a hacker? I start sending out invoices pretending to be you all over the place, routing that money to my account. Any of you who are going back and forth with a customer, all of a sudden the wire instructions change on your bank account, that money's going a different place. We see this happen with small business owners all the time. If you are using your email to make or request payments, your mail queue is a cash cow for a hacker that gets access to it. You can imagine what this looks like for me at Morgan Stanley. We'll have hackers get access to our customer, our client's accounts. All of a sudden, they're writing to their financial advisor asking for a $50,000 wire. Email always reads the same. Adam, I need this wire. It's got to go right away. I know you want to call me back to verify it, but I'm about to get on my yacht, so you're not going to be able to reach me, but this is really, really important, and so I need you to do it right away. Of course, the advisor is going to call back and say, I'm not allowed to move money based on an email. I've got them all trained, right, that email, they should be highly skeptical of anything they receive in email, recognizing that they should have zero confidence that it's who it appears to be from, that it says now what it said when it was sent. They should treat that email as worth about as much as the piece of paper they have not yet printed it on. Hacker's going to write back and say, don't you know who I am? And if I don't get this money sent right away, you're going to be in trouble. These guys are bullies. They're criminals. This is what they do. This is social engineering at its worst. But we can't fall victim to that. And again, I've seen this thing in the filing cabinets. Tax, driver's license, tax records, birth certificates, social security cards, you name it. Now, the client had no idea they'd been robbed, right? Because the fraudster puts everything back just as they left it. Hacker then waits three months for the metaphorical paint to dry, then used all the information they stole to call our call centers pretending to be our clients. We didn't pass the plate, but we mailed these checks to our churches, We saw hackers, fraudsters, literally standing at the mailboxes of churches all across the country these last two years, waiting for those personal checks to be mailed in, pillaging those mailboxes for the personal checks that they contained. What does the fraudster do with these checks? Well, they can simply, you know, your name and address right there on the side, you're routing an account number at the bottom. They can go into any Costco in America and print new checks in your name. It's not illegal to print your own checks. 
What is illegal is what they do next, which is write them all over town against your account. We had clients that went through four or five checkbooks just last year because they kept putting personal checks into the black box that is the U.S. Postal Service. An average of 12 hands touch that check between you and its intended recipient. The checks are being washed, reprinted, rebranded, manipulated in all ways, shapes, or forms. Just last week, a client mailed a check for uh, $9,500. Hacker added a zero, deposited that check for $95,000. She did not appreciate that in the least. Minimizing our use of physical paper and personal checks, huge thing we can do to reduce our risk and liability there. All right, with that, I am going to take a breath. Adam is going to run around. Thank you so much for having me this morning. This has been an absolute pleasure. What an amazing group. And we'll take this conversation anywhere you all would like. Thank you. Wasn't that fantastic? I loved sitting in on Rachel's session. Little confession, I only heard like the first 45 minutes or so. I had to leave early to do something else. I loved catching the end of it later. But what tremendous content. Hope you enjoyed and benefited from that as much as so many others already have. As a quick reminder, if you want to get all the videos from our recent conference, you can go to theprovenconference.com, snag them there. Drop us an email as a listener to this show. Send an email to our support team. There's a link at silentgym.com with details on our support team, how to contact them. They'll give you a coupon code. You can save yourself a few bucks. Actually, we got a pretty significant discount. I don't know what it is. Honestly, I have no idea, but it's a significant discount with a coupon code if you email them. They'll hook you up. And hey, one last thing before I let you go. If you enjoy this podcast, if you benefit from this, Remember, we have a $0 marketing budget here. The only way that the word spreads is if you spread the word. So send some friends to silentgym.com. Tell them about our podcast. Share this episode. It's great free content. We put our heart and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into making this show happen. A lot of people sacrifice time, effort, and energy, and that costs money. So the way you can pay us back is, hey, spread the word. Leave us a review. Subscribe if you're on YouTube, that sort of thing. We really appreciate all of that. And hey, if you're ready to get started building an amazing business on Amazon, there's never been a better time than right now. As you can tell from all the past episodes, recent episodes on this show, a lot of people are having their lives changed by the content we promote and produce around here. I'm talking about the Proven Amazon Course. If you're ready to get started, go to provenamazoncourse.com. $29 a month gets you started. It has all the content you'll ever need starting day one. You get it all. Work through at your own pace. We'll take you through the systems that have helped so many other people build incredible businesses. ProvenAmazonCourse.com. Hey, have a great rest of your week. We'll have another tremendous episode for you again very soon. Thank you for listening to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Visit SilentJim.com for a link to our free newsletter, our free Facebook group, and all of our resources mentioned on today's show.